So, how do you spell release? Well, if you're around in the 70s, you know how to spell it, right? R-O-L-A-I-D-S. They found out that a lot of uh, elementary school kids in those days would go to school and they would misspell the word relief because they would spell it R-O-L-A-I-D-S. Another commercial from that era. I can't believe I ate the whole thing. I can't believe I ate the whole thing. The guy's miserable. He's overwhelmed, but he does plop, plop, fizz, fizz, drinks the Alka-Seltzer, and then he's smiling and happy. See, in these advertisements, it's a beautiful picture of our culture today. What a metaphor for how we live today. If you have some discomfort, if life's a little hard, if you're not feeling like you should, just take a pill. Just chew this. Find some way to get relief because relief is important and you've got to figure out how to do it yourself. You should never even feel discomfort in life. If you do, look for a pill. Look for an escape. Buy a new car. (laughs) Drink this beer. And what the advertisers tell us is then your life will be all better. We flee from suffering of any kind in our culture. But the demand for relief now, I want to feel better now, though it's extreme in our current culture, it's not new. It's been part of mankind ever since the fall. Ever since Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, people have been running from suffering, looking for relief. And even David, a man after God's own heart, struggles with it. Last week we saw him staying faithful to God. He went through tremendously difficult time. He's been running in the wilderness. He has an opportunity to kill Saul and end all the suffering, end all the struggle. And he trusts God. He doesn't kill Saul. He continues to trust God. It's a wonderful picture of faith. But in our passage today, David doesn't respond quite so well. You see, David's a lot like us. Sometimes we do well trusting God, and sometimes we don't do so well. And because he doesn't trust God in chapter 27 of 1 Samuel, he gets into some big trouble, as we'll see in the weeks to come. This passage is a great warning for all of us who demand that life go better now. We want relief. So it's a good encouragement to keep trusting God, to hang in there, to persevere. And this passage will help us to understand the dynamics of our own hearts, kind of what's going on when we begin to move away from trusting God to trusting self. And hopefully this will help us to discern what's going on in us so that we can learn more and more to trust God over the long haul. Pray with me. Lord, again, we thank you that the scriptures are so true to life. And we thank you that David, a man after your own heart, is certainly not perfect, but he's just like us. And as we look at his failures today, may we see ourselves in him, and may this be an encouragement 
to turn to you quickly for forgiveness when we do blow it and to continue trusting you when we're tempted to give up. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what happens when we just want relief? (laughs) Well, that's what we see in this passage. And first, I want to look at the path to compromise. Because when we just want relief, we tend to compromise. But what's that path we see David go on? Well, it begins this way in verse 1. David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. What David does first is he focuses on fear. He focuses on fear. Fear. David's afraid. Now think about it. He's been running in the wilderness for 10 years now or so. And God has protected him every step of the way. Yes, it has not been easy. He's had to live in caves. He's had to live in the wilderness with his wives and his family and all of them, his men and their families. It's been hard. But God has always protected him during that time. But now he's lost focus on God. If you, if you notice, God's not in the picture in this chapter. He's left God out completely. And his focus is on his fear. Notice what he says. Saul's going to get me. <laughs> oh yeah? Hasn't God protected you? But he's forgotten that. Saul's going to get me. He's after me. We get tired of the struggle, the suffering that goes on and on. We get weary and we just want relief. This happens to all of us at times, doesn't it? When you're in a difficult situation and it goes on and on, we just want a way out. We just want some reprieve. We want some kind of fix, relief, to get out of it. And then we focus on the fear and then begin to worry about what might happen. And because we're afraid of what might happen... We forget God and we're just consumed with that worry, with that fear, and it begins to control us because we've left God out. Like the single person, and many have struggled with this as believers, where as a single person you, you want, long to be married, you long to share your life with someone, and yet no one comes along and you get pressure to be sexually active and you think, well, maybe that's what I need to do and you begin to give in to the pressure because you're so afraid of not finding someone if I don't compromise. We all have areas like that where living by fear begins to take over and when it does, it never gets us where we need to be. It's contrary to faith. But you see that in David. This path, the first step is he begins to focus on his fear. And then secondly, he begins to listen to himself. Listen to self. Listen, again, David said in his heart. David said in his heart. To whom is he listening? Self, right? Think for a minute about to whom is he not listening? Well, as we've seen in recent weeks, he's not listening to Abigail, his wife. Remember, Abigail came and confronted him when he was going to kill Nabal and all the men. And, he was, and Abigail is a godly woman that God has given to David as a wife. 
but he's not listening to her now. He's not listening to Abiathar, the priest. The priest had come, brought the ephod so that he could seek God's will. Abiathar is a man of God. He loves God, and David doesn't check in with him. Who else is David not listening to? Well, clearly he's not listening to God. At this point, he's getting these voices from self, and self is telling him, you better take this in your own hands. David does well always through First and Second Samuel when he listens to God. And he gets into trouble when he ignores God and listens to self. He gets in trouble every time. And it's the same for us, folks. Self will get us into trouble every time. When we listen to self and come up with our own solution, our own way of relief, it will always, always get us into trouble. Self always seeks its own control. It always pulls us away from God. It always is essentially anti-God at its core. I think Paul's talking about this in Romans chapter 7 where he talks about his own personal struggle. And in verse 14, he says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Then in verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Paul's talking about that struggle, that the self is in us, and believe me, folks, the self sticks with us as long as we're here on earth until we get our new redeemed bodies, and it never gets any better. It's always going to tell us garbage. It's always going to try to lead us away from God. That's what the self does, because it wants to be in control instead of God. It will always move us from trust. So David gets into trouble because he listens to self. And then he says the third thing that David does in this path away from God, a path to compromise, is he chooses his own solution. He listens to self and he says, there's nothing better for me. Essentially what he's saying is, there is no option for me but to run away and go to the land of the Philistines. Really? <laughs> really, David? Is that really the only option? That's what self's telling him. I have no other choice but to run to the land of the Philistines. I, I want to show you a map so it just orients you to what's going on here and what David is doing. Jerusalem's up here. Saul is up here and Gibeon just above here. And David's been hiding and running in the wilderness all over this area of Judah for about 10 years now. And he's getting tired of it. And he thinks, my only option is to run to Gath, which is from about here over this way, is Philistine territory. And he says, if I go to Gath, then I'll be safe. That is my only option. Really, David. <laughs> I don't know if you recall, but back in chapter 22, verse 5, God sent 
him a prophet. And the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. He'd been hiding in Moab. He said, Go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Heth. God had commanded him, Go to Judah. Be there. Trust me to take care of you. And now David says, Nah. I only have one option. Yeah, God's protected me for ten years. Of course, he doesn't remember that. He says, My only option, or Saul will get me, is to run to the enemy. Go live with the Philistines who are the enemy of God. Is that a good solution? Is that your only solution, David? But see, David has stopped listening to God and has come up with his own solution and he sees no other option. That's what the flesh will do. It will narrow things in your mind so you think you have no other choice. Like one of my best friends I spent a lot of time with over the years. I was talking to him one day and he said, I don't have a great marriage. It's tough. It's not satisfying to me. The only solution is to Find someone else who makes me happy. And I tried to say to my friend, that's not the only solution. There's a lot of solutions. But he would not hear it. And so he walked out of his marriage, got involved with a woman 20 years younger or so, because he thought that would satisfy his life. Is that your only option, really? What about getting marriage counseling? What about getting mentoring from other couples? What about seeking the Lord and beginning to work on your own heart and let God break you? What about letting God change your attitude? What about sharing with friends and asking them to pray with you? What about going to church leadership and saying, we need help? What about fill in the blank? You see, when we listen to self and choose self's solution... It will seem like, it will feel like our only option. And believe me, folks, when you feel that way, it's dangerous. Because in God, there are always other options. And when you listen to self and choose self-solution, it will always be wrong. (laughs) So, David focuses on the fear, then he listens to himself, and then he chooses that solution. And then, step four... He begins to dwell with the world. Verse 3, And David lived with Achish at Gath. He and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives. He lived, that word is to dwell, to put down roots. David is now living with the enemy. How can that be God's will? I can't. It's just a recipe for trouble. We compromise what we know is right when we've listened to self. And pretty soon we find ourselves dwelling with the enemy and it affects us. Whether we know it or not, it begins to corrupt our hearts. It's very interesting that as far as we know, as far as scholars know, David wrote a lot of psalms. But in the year and four months he was in Philistine territory, as far as we know, he didn't write any psalms. Zero. Because he was distant from God. He turned away. He'd lost his focus. He'd lost his way. He's spiritually unresponsive at this time. 
Now, verse 4 is something we have to wrestle with. Verse 4 says, And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Well, wait a minute. It worked, right? It worked. David no longer has the pressure of Saul chasing him. You know, when you, when you give in to the flesh and it tells you this is the only way to get relief, often it will provide relief for a while. For a while. <laughs> but it never lasts. You really move out of the frying pan into the fire, ultimately. You leave one difficult relationship and you end up finding that the next one has its own struggles and trials too. And now you're dealing with the aftermath of the first one. It just multiplies. And it goes on and on. And it produces greater pain in your life. And we'll see that in future weeks as we continue to walk David through what the consequences are of his choice here. I think we need to ask ourselves, what do you, what do I look to for relief when you just want to feel better now. Maybe you haven't walked out of a marriage. Maybe you haven't committed sexual sin. But do you choose to check out and feel better another way? Maybe shopping is your thing. (laughs) I just need relief now. I'm going shopping. Maybe it's eating. Maybe you just feel better when you just eat a half gallon of ice cream and, and it provides a certain amount of relief. Of course, then you need Alka-Seltzer, the plop, plop, fizz, fizz, or the Rolades or whatever. Maybe for you, relief is in withdrawal. I'll just shut everybody and everything out and just hide. Maybe for you, it's withdrawing into lust, video games, TV, You fill in the blank. Uh Now listen, we all check out at times. We all want to just veg out for a little while. I'm not saying that's a terrible thing to do. but, But when you know that God's prompting you to do something and you shut out God and you choose self because you demand relief now, that will get you into trouble every time. When you feel like, I deserve to feel good now, whatever it takes, it will lead down a slippery slope. (laughs) And we see that in David now. And I want to look at the slippery slope of compromise, see what happens in his life. Verse 5 through 7, he begins to seek the favor of the world instead of God. He seeks the favor of the world. This is part of that slippery slope. David said to Achish, if I have found favor in your eyes... Let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah since then. And David lived there a year and four months. David no longer is concerned about what God thinks. He says to Achish, If I found favor in your eyes, then give me something. So now we'll be interdependent on each other. You see the danger of that? This is the enemy. This is the world. And when we begin to get enmeshed with the world, we get in real trouble here. But he's seeking the favor of Achish. 
That happens to us when we begin to buy into worldly thinking. We, we, we are begin to slide down and we begin to think, oh yeah, this is what I need. And the world's telling you, you need money to be happy. And so you think, okay, whatever it takes, I've got to get more money because that's where happiness is. Or find somebody that really makes me feel good. Or, again, fill in the blank. And we begin to slide down that slope of seeking the favor of the world. Then we see David begin to pursue selfishness. Verse 8 and 9, it says he goes on these raids against the Geshurites and Gerzites and the Amalekites and takes all their stuff, kills the people, but takes their stuff. He's making raids on Bedouin tribes in the South Desert. And again, let me show you the map just to orient you to what he's doing here. So David went to Gath and... Akish gives him Ziklag, the city down here. Akish was pretty smart. I think he says, you know, in case there's any attack from Egypt or whatever, I'll give David the southern city so he'll get hit first. (laughs) So he can be kind of a buffer for me. And he's far enough away, he won't be a problem to me. So he gets the southern city of Ziklag. And so he begins raiding down south here down in the Negev towards Egypt and down this way and he's raiding these Bedouin tribes, the Geshurites, the Gerzites, the Amalekites. He's taking a lot of animals, garments, etc. Now, now, let me ask this. Why is David doing this? Is it because God told him to? No. It's because he wants to get rich, right? He... he He's raiding them to get what he wants. God didn't tell him to raid these guys, but he's getting wealth here for himself. He's pursuing selfishness. He's simply doing what feels good. He's pursuing wealth. You see, when we become those who listen to the self, then it becomes something where we begin pursuing selfishness more and more and more over time. I see this all the time and people say to me, well, you know, my spouse has left, but he says, you know, I'm going to take care of you. I'll make sure we get a great settlement in the divorce. I really want you to be well taken care of. And I always say, watch out. Because once they start giving into selfishness, pretty soon they'll start demanding more and more and taking more and more from you. Because once you give into the self, Self begins to control all that you do. We become more demanding, more mean, and more selfish. That's what happens when the self is in control. It's this slippery slope. So we start seeking the favor of the world. We start pursuing selfishness. And then, third, we begin lying to cover it up. Again, David, it says, would strike the land. He would leave neither man nor woman alive. When Achish asked, Verse 10, where have you made a raid today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah or against the Negev of the Jeremelites or against the Negev of the Canaanites. In other words, David is saying from Ziklag, oh, I'm raiding over here in Judah. I'm killing Israelites. He's lying because he doesn't want Achish to know who he's really raiding because he wants Achish to think that, oh, David's on my side now. He's killing his own people. So he lies to cover up this whole thing. 
You see, that's what happens to us when we give in to self. We have to lie to begin to cover it up because we want to look better than we are and so we begin to hide the things that we know that create shame in us. Like the women, I've known several who are lonely and they're at home and they begin, or at work, and they begin entering into chat rooms or begin an email conversation with an old fling from way back when and they start this relationship and it gets deeper and deeper and they hide it. They lie about it, what they're doing. They hide it from their husbands. And I've seen several marriages break up because that's happened. But whatever it is, when you give in to self, you begin to feel guilty and so you have to hide it from other people. And it creates more and more lying and more and more damage until you get to where David is next, down this slippery slope of where he actually is doing harm to others. Because it says that he had to kill all the men and women in these places he was raiding. Verse 11, David would leave neither men nor women alive to bring news to Gath, thinking lest they should, t- should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom. All the while he lived there. Now he's got to murder everybody to make sure the secret never gets out. Well, maybe you and I haven't murdered anybody. I hope not. But when we give in to self, we start not caring so much about other people and we start doing harm to them, even and maybe especially to those people we love the most, or we used to, because self has taken control, begins to destroy our lives. John Edwards has been in the news a fair amount recently. You know, presidential candidate looked like things were going well. In the meantime, he's having an affair with one of his aides, Riel Hunter. His wife is dying of cancer at the time, but he doesn't care. He's into himself. He's given into self. And the result is, it finally comes out. He's got to tell his own aide to lie when Riel gets pregnant. And now he's got to... His, his, he lies on camera, says he doesn't know anything about it, says he doesn't even know her really. He makes his aide confess that it's his child when it's really not. I mean, it just, what a mess. Finally gets indicted. His whole life has fallen apart and he's lost the respect of all the important people in his life and he's lost his wife who has now died. I mean, it just goes on and on. And that's what happens when we give in to self. Self destroys. Till finally what we see at the end of the passage, Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel, therefore he shall always be my servant. End of the slippery slope, we become a servant to the world rather than to the God of the universe we begin having to serve them. David has had to bring, when he's, when he's gone on these raids, he shows up at Achish and he's got to share that with Achish. He's getting so enmeshed and intertwined with Achish and with his enemy, the Philistines. It's a mess. So what do we do? What do you and I do when we just want relief? 
what's a godly response? Or what do we do if we're caught living in a lie? What if you're there right now? How do you get out of it? How do you give up living by the flesh? How do you change? Well, we don't see it in this passage, but I want to just highlight a couple other passages just to give you some thoughts to think about about how to get out of it if that's where you are or if that's where you're tempted. Three words I want to give you that I think are key. Repentance, trust, and community. Repentance, trust, and community. David highlights all of these when he's doing the right thing. Repentance. Remember Psalm 51. What a beautiful passage in Psalm 51 when he repents after his sin with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel. We haven't gotten there yet. But in Psalm 51, he says, Lord, have mercy on me for my iniquity. I'm a sinner. Repentance. Repentance means literally to turn and go the other way. Repentance means admitting your sin and turning back to God, letting go of your sin and turning back to God. Now, sometimes we think repentance is, okay, just admitting you've done wrong. Well, that's part of it. But real repentance means turning away from what you've been doing. You've got to let it go. I've seen too many people try to hang on to their sin, whatever they've hung on to, and turn to God at the same time, and that doesn't work. You just get pulled apart. Repentance means you have to let go and say, okay, God, my life's in your hands. I surrender all to you. I give my life to you. And then secondly, trust. That's repentance. You start there. Secondly, trust. And I think Psalm 13 was a time when David really struggled, but he did what was right. Psalm 13, it's just six verses, but a beautiful psalm where David is struggling with wanting relief. God, how long is this going to go on? Verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So he begins by just being honest with God. God, I don't like this. I want relief. How long is this going to go on? But notice who he's talking to. Not self. He's talking to God. You see, he's moving towards trust. Then the psalm goes on, verse 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I prevail over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. He says, Lord, consider me. Light up my eyes. Lord, open my eyes to what you're doing. Give me your light because all I see is darkness. Lord, I need you to act, to at least open my eyes. He doesn't even say fix everything. He says just open my eyes. What a marvelous prayer when you're struggling. And then he moves to trust. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Wish we could spend more time on just uh, those couple of verses, but I want to highlight a couple things there. There's four lines in those two verses. The first and the last are past tense. Lord, this is what you've done in the past. The two middle verses are saying, therefore, I will 
saying, I will trust you. The future, Lord, is in your hands. Notice what he's doing. He's saying, Lord, you've taken care of me these ten years. Therefore, I know you'll take care of me for the future. I'm putting my future in your hands. Instead of focusing on fear, what might happen, he's saying, Lord, the future is in your hands and therefore I'm going to leave it there. When you're struggling that way, go to Psalm 13. Repentance, trust, and then finally community. When David listens to others, when he goes into community and lets them support him, he does well. When he gets isolated and he's all in his own head, he gets into trouble. We need to be in community. When you're struggling, get others around you to pray for you. Encourage one another. You've got to be in community where you're supporting each other because we all need one another. Trust, repentance, community. Folks, we all get to a place of seeking relief from the struggles of life. Every one of us, even a man or woman after God's own heart. But if we cling to God through it, if we remember what he's done in the past, if we turn away and repent, trust, and live in community, he will see us through. So we're going to sing, I Surrender All. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing this song, but really think about your own heart. And is this something that's the cry of your heart? Lord, I want to surrender even the hard things to you, even my demand for relief that I might trust you even there. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for David who is one of us. And yet, you call him a man after your own heart because he would ultimately, in the end, when confronted, turn to you and repent. May we do that now where we need to. May we turn to repentance, to trust, and to the community around us that we might be people who walk with you even in those times when it feels like we so desperately need relief. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.